Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Amen, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise? Oh, come on, y'all. We can do better than that. It's Christmas season. We are celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. Do me a favor and take 30 seconds and just stand up and give God your best praise this morning. You woke up this morning with health and strength in your body. Woke up in your right mind. You was able to get out of bed with no help. Able to put on your clothes by yourself. Came downstairs and had food in the refrigerator. Turned on the car and it actually worked. It had gas in it and somehow made your way here. I think we could give God some praise. Amen? Our God, he is God. And through everything that you've been through this year, somehow you made it to the end of the year. You are here. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I'm still here. God is still good. Praise God. Y'all, come on. Let's give God a hand clap of praise while we welcome our our guests online that are coming here and joining us from wherever it is that they are. Y'all go on ahead and and, and take your seat. While you take your seat, give your neighbor a high five and let them know that they're sitting beside the right person this morning. Hopefully your ugly sweater is just as ugly as theirs is. Amen. Well, as Pastor John said, we have been talking about the Christmas story, and I'm so thankful to be able to close out this series. You see, everyone loves a good story, amen? We all love a good story. You know, you remember the, the plot. We all remember the characters and all the climatic moments. You know, but I wonder, however, do we ever consider what it is that the author is really trying to accomplish with these stories, with these writers? What is it that they're trying to communicate with us? In many cases, In a story, you'll see that the author oftentimes pours out their heart and their soul into the pages such that the the reader may learn or know something. But what does the, the Christmas story say about its author? God. Now, now I know man wrote down the Bible, and, and we as Christ followers believe that the Bible is inspired and God breathed, that it comes from the Lord himself. But what aspects of himself does he reveal about the story of Christ's birth? You see, week one, we talked about the context of Christmas, the times and season in which Christ was born and and its significance and how important it is to see Christ's birth in the right perspective. Week two, we touched on the characters of Christmas, specifically Mary and how she chose to make herself available to God despite the danger and all of the confusion of it all. But see, this week we're going to focus on the concepts of Christmas as it relates to its author, God. Now, as we get into these concepts, I want you to answer three questions for me as we touch on each concept. Number one, what happened? Now, we sometimes get this wrong simply because we do not read. I wish I had something more deep for you, but that's just it. We don't always read. 
And so many times somebody is telling us what the Bible said. Oh, we, we were told what it was. Oh, we heard this. And, and somehow we walk away with Adam and Eve ate a banana. But what does God's word say? We need to know God's word for ourselves. And we need to pick up God's word and engage him while he engages us. Number two, what does this say about God? You see, the, per- the events in the Bible, and specifically the Christmas story, are not there by happenstance or coincidence. Every single thing is there on purpose and carefully crafted and constructed to reveal something about the character of God. If we miss this, then we turn the Bible solely into a historic book, and we miss God's whole entire purpose, which is to reveal and discover his very own heart. Number three. Now, how should I respond to what I now know about God? This is the application. And it's never meant to be the starting point. See, people oftentimes struggle with the Bible because they don't answer the first two questions. We don't know what happened. We don't know what this says about God. But then we struggle with how we're supposed to apply this thing. And so since we can't connect, we oftentimes throw it away. But how can, you, how can you know how to apply if you don't know what it says and do not trust the character of the person that it came from? But as we get into the word, we'll find out that there are some things specifically about God himself that he reveals in this story specifically. We found out that God is a promise keeper. A promise is defined as a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. If I'm able to run down a few scriptures about Christ's birth and the promises that that God made over time, I'll do that real quickly. In Genesis, we see the first mention that God was sent a Savior. Genesis 3.15, God tells Satan, And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. God is referring to Jesus and the cross. And then if we roll over to Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he tells Abraham, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you abundantly and make your name great, exalted and distinguished. And you shall be a blessing, a source of great good to others. And I will bless, do good for the for benefit, those who bless you. And I will curse, that is subject to my wrath and judgment, the one who curses, despises, dishonor, and has contempt for you. And in all the families, nations of the earth will be blessed. This he says to Abraham. This is the Abrahamic covenant. We know that, that the nation of Israel started with Abraham. Isaiah, let's move over to Isaiah 7.14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, listen carefully, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We'll move over to Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. We see the angel speak to Mary, listen carefully. You will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Mary says to the angel in verse 34, how will this be, since I'm a virgin, have no intimacy with any man? Then the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a cloud. And for that reason, the holy, pure, sinless child 
shall be called the son of God. These are the sports center highlights of the Christmas story. You see, Jesus' arrival, that was great, by the way. Jesus' arrival was the fulfillment of many covenant promises that was made throughout the generations, going all the way back from David to Abraham, even to Adam. There are hundreds of scriptures about Christ's birth, his life, his death, even his resurrection, but all of them point back to the fact that God is a promise keeper. God keeps his promise even through tough circumstances. Consider when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus goes, and he's, he is full of sorrow and full of worry, and he prays and goes to God at least twice and tells him, Lord, if it be a way to take this cup from me, if there's another way to do this, will you do it? And then he ends up going back a third time, so you know God told him no. Thank God that he fulfills his promises. I can tell you for sure in my own personal life that God fulfills promises. He keeps his word. If y'all don't know, back in August, my, um, during 4-Hour City Week, my wife got stung by a yellow jacket. It was the first time ever she'd been stung by anything like that. And she went into anaphylactic shock. And I never seen somebody look like they were drowning in midair. But as she could not breathe, and we took her, as we were taking her in to the, to the emergency room, in the car, and we were praying for her, and my son was with her. It was in the back. And I could hear him say, God, don't let my mommy die. And it instantly brought me back to a prayer that I prayed when I was about 17, 18 years old. I said, God, when I get married, I pray that my child, my child, my children would never have to experience what I experienced. My mother died from breast cancer when I was 13 years old. And I prayed that prayer when I was 17, 18 years old. And I can remember saying, God, not today. We get to the hospital and they gave her the EpiPen and she was able to live. But I can tell you for sure that you can trust in God's character. You can trust God's word because you can trust God's character. This is especially important to understand when we're going through something unpleasant. We can trust God's character when we're suffering. We can trust God's character when we don't seem to understand the events that are going on in our lives or in the lives of those that are around us. Why? Because God is a promise keeper. I tell you, there's something about a person that keeps their word. We teach our children this all the time, to be integral, that your word is your bond. We even get more angry with them when they lie to us about what they did. When I know what you did before I asked you, I know where my kids are sitting at. Well, we get more angry about them lying than them just whatever it was that they did. Because why? Because there's purity and honesty. There's purity and honesty. There's safety in the words of a person that is truthful. This generates trust and fosters an atmosphere of transparency and really security. And God's word tells us that God is a, a refuge, which makes him a safe place and a person that can be trusted. Because God is a promise keeper and does not lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Paul greets Titus and he tells him in the first part of the world, in, in, in verse 1, he's greeting him. But a part of that greeting is verse 2 where he says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, 
promise before time began. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, we can trust in the character of God. What promise do you need to be reminded of today? What is it that God needs to remind you of that he is more than capable of doing? The Christmas story shows us that God is capable of keeping his promise. Not only that, but in keeping his promise, God is very purposeful in what he does and how he does things. God is very detailed and meticulous when carrying out his will. Just consider a few of the details concerning Christ's birth. Let's look at his parents. Mary, Mary, and even Elizabeth. The scriptures tell us that they were daughters of Aaron. Aaron, Aaron was a Levite. The Levites were the one tribe out of the 12 that were responsible for carrying out the duties of the priesthood. Aaron, excuse me, Elizabeth and Mary were daughters, descendants of Aaron. Joseph was of the lineage of David. So when you put them two together, you really get that Jesus was of a royal priesthood. And the scripture tells us that we don't serve a high priest that cannot relate with what it is that we go through. But Jesus also is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When the wise men came looking for him, they asked, who is the king of the Jews? That was done on purpose, not by accident. Even where Jesus was born was prophesied in the Old Testament. Michael 5, 2 tells us, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel, who's going forth from of old, from everlasting. God is meticulous, amen? So if God was so meticulous and so thoughtful about the birth of Christ, why is it that we forget that there is purpose in every part of our life? Both the good, the bad, and the ugly. We sometimes think that only God's will includes all the good, while all the suffering must come from somewhere else. There's no way that serving God can have all of this stuff come with it. Come on, Jesus. Somebody help me. We think that it comes from somewhere else. Now, while God is not making the bad stuff happen, what God can do is use it. The scripture tells us that he uses and makes all things work together for the good of those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. God loves us even through everything that we go through. We forget that Mary gave birth in the glorious audience of animals. Oh, how great it smelled. We forget that Joseph was initially suspicious of Mary. He thought she might have had a side piece. We forget that Jesus would put in a feeding trough where animals ate. You see, the scripture tells us that man is of a few days old and full of trouble. We will encounter and suffer some things in this life because of the sin in this world. We all will experience some kind of pain. But the pain of life and the suffering is oftentimes the currency of growth. And God uses it to shape our hearts and molds it to become more like Christ. And oftentimes, I tell you that the pain we experience becomes the foundation of the lessons that we learn. That not only stimulate spiritual growth, but they serve to sustain the blessings in our lives. I've learned so much 
more from the L's that I've taken than the wins. So if that's the case, then we can say no matter what it is I've gone through, as Paul did, I learned to be abound in the base. In all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. The Christmas story shows us that God does not lie, but is a promise keeper. And he is purposeful in how he keeps his promise. But he is also able to keep his promise even when it looks impossible. Somebody say he is the God of the impossible. Let's look at Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Mary says to the angel, after the angel says, look, you're going to bear a child. And she's like, how is this? As Pastor John said, we've been in the family life. I know how this works. I know she was young, but she was like, mm-mm, how? But she wasn't doubting. She just said, how? How will this be since I'm a virgin? I have no intimacy with nobody. And now look at what, look at what the angel says to her. Verse 36. After he tells her she's going to have a child, verse 35. He says, and listen, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Oh, she was good and pregnant. For with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. You see, God can do what we cannot. Some of us are going into this holiday season, walking into some situations that we are calling impossible, like a peaceful Christmas dinner. Some of us are dreading to be around some other family members. And some of us are hoping that other family members don't show up. We look at these, these situations and we say, oh, man, that's impossible. That person ain't never going to change. They ain't ever going to be like this. We, 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 we create this thing in our mind, out this thought in our mind that this thing is impossible. But what could be more, we kind of toss that term around loosely, but what could actually be more impossible than a virgin and an old barren woman giving birth? What could be more impossible than that? But when Mary encounters the angel, she does not ask, she does not ask that, she does not say that it can't be done, but she says, how? But this is very different from Elizabeth's husband. When the angel goes and talks to him, he is not able to get a word out. Men, notice how this went. The angel goes to him and says that your wife will conceive a son. We know that that son ends up being John the Baptist, the one who preaches and makes way for Jesus to come on the scene. But Zacharias does not believe in his heart. He does not even get a chance out his mouth to say, I don't believe, because the angel went on ahead and shut his mouth, and he could not speak until John was born. Very different type of response, amen? You see, God isn't looking for us to do the impossible, but to believe him for it. Just to believe him for it. He can do it. You just got to believe. Look, your kids don't actually know what it is that you can do when their toy or their situation is broken. They, they, even if they're an adult, they actually don't know what you can do, but they believe you can fix it. We must do the same thing with God. Pastor John taught us a couple of weeks ago that we must be aware of God, his presence and what he can do. 
I can imagine Mary saying, if he did this thing, this great thing over here, he must, he must have, if he did that great thing over there, I know he can do that great thing over here. Look at verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Notice that the scripture said that she made haste. After she hears the wonderful news from the angel, she makes haste to get over there to Elizabeth to see what it is that the angel had told her. I know that that Mary knew that Elizabeth was an old lady. Also, that she ain't had no kids. Pretty sure that she knew that because they was family. But imagine her joy when she went over there and found that Elizabeth was with child. Imagine that. Tell your neighbor that your blessing ain't just for you. It ain't just for you. It ain't just for you because someone else, it's for someone else too. Elizabeth's blessing, her baby that was in her barren womb was also for Mary. Others people's, other people's blessings is building our faith. Your, your blessing is building someone else's faith. And see, when you see God do it in someone else's life, it's not so crazy to say that God can do it in yours. Imagine when she went back to Joseph and said, oh, my gosh, you remember Elizabeth? She couldn't have no kids, but she's six months round. She's six months round. And, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant too. But, but it's okay. It's okay, gossip You see, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask. Somebody say dare ask. Or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. According to his power that works within us. Someone say works within us. You see, your thoughts and imaginations of what could be is attached to your faith in the one that is able to make that thing happen. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, life change through Christ starts to take place. God starts to shape and form us into the image of Christ. Our understanding of who God is starts to grow. Our understanding of God's will starts to grow. Even our desires change. We start to want and pray for the very things that God would want us to pray for. Then we start to believe God for more and more. We're more aware of his presence. We're more aware of what he can do. And so then what seems to be impossible has now become possible. But see, some of us struggle with the God of impossible because God doesn't do what we want when we want. We misunderstand who God is and discredit his character. And then we say stuff like, well, I guess God couldn't do. Well, if he could do it, uh, maybe he didn't do it because he wasn't willing to do it. We make up these things when, when truth be told that much like your kids cannot manipulate you, we cannot manipulate God. But we need to learn who he is as he reveals in his word and come to God on his own terms, not ours. This is where the word and faith comes in. Faith is not wishing, y'all. But it's attached to the word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us that, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some of us say we believe God, but I question and ask you, what is that particular belief based on? 
if we can't draw our beliefs about who God is back to his word, then maybe we've created our own. And we're just wishing. But our faith should be attached to God's word. Because God's word is attached to God's character. And that's what determines God's actions. I tell y'all, he is capable of doing everything that he promised, no matter how impossible it seems. He shows us in the Christmas story that he is the God of the impossible. But he shows us in our everyday story that he is the God of the impossible in our everyday life. You see, here, even here at LifeHouse, we've been able to see things that some folks call impossible. Friends and families that have come off of drugs and addictions. We've seen broken friendships and broken and marriages restored. Even you sitting here right now could be the answer prayer of what somebody else said was impossible. No way that person go to church. Tell your neighbor you are the product of impossible. Now tell your other neighbor, so am I. Now you may not feel like it, but you are. Some of us have been abandoned, and there's no way in the world we should have healthy relationships. But God did the impossible in our lives. Some of us have endured abuse, physical abuse, and emotional abuse, mental, and even some of us terribly sexual abuse. But God did the impossible. We're still here, and we should have lost our minds, but God has given us a spirit of, of, of love, power, and a sound mind. Some of us have been neglected. Some of us have been not nurtured, and some of us have been hurt, and maybe hurt right now. And there's no way we should be sitting here with a smile on our face, but we don't look like what we've been through because God did the impossible. God is well capable of saving us and well able of carrying out his purpose in our own individual lives. I tell you, point to yourself and see the work that God has done that somebody else said was impossible. I'm pretty sure that when Pastor John said we will have church in a theater, somebody says, church in a movie theater? Impossible. But God, God is capable of doing the impossible. And don't worry when people say, well, you know, I remember you. I remember what you did. I was there when you did it. Might have been there doing it with you. You can tell them, great. I'm glad. And you're right. But I ain't what I used to be. God did the impossible and raised me from death to life. And I'm a new creature in Christ. And I tell you, if you haven't allowed God to do the impossible in your life, he stands with his arms wide open this morning, waiting for you to say as Mary did, be it unto me according to your word. And if he did it for your neighbor that's sitting beside you, I tell you that he'll do it for you today. I dare you to believe God for the impossible. I'm not talking about superficial and selfish things like asking God to hit the lottery next week. I'm asking, I'm talking about the promises of love and redemption that look like it could never happen. I'm talking about understanding that God can do what he said in your life because he is a promise keeper. He is purposeful and he is the God of the impossible. But finally, God is a giver of hope and life. 
We read here in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star and we have come to worship him. You see, news about Jesus' birth brought hope and anticipation. Look at the question that King Herod, that they asked King Herod. Where is he that we may worship him? Their hope was in Jesus. Jesus came during a time of oppression. The Israelites weren't slaves, but they were a nation state of the Romans. They were bound by Rome's laws and their practices. And the people longed for a better life, one without Roman control. They were taxed unfairly. The government was corrupt. They could come and take their possessions at any time. And the Romans were pagans. They did a whole bunch of nasty stuff. And not just that, but they brought their ungodly practices, rituals, into their land. And they brought their culture with them. So the hope of the Messiah delivering them from the Romans and giving them a better life was in the hearts of many Jews. Similarly, Christmas season in our culture is filled with hope as well. It's a time when there's a lot of joy and peace and goodwill towards men. People are actually willing to let people in at the last moment before they make a turn or near the HRBT. People are reflective of the past year, what they've accomplished, but full of hope and promise for the next year. So imagine how the Jews felt when they found out that this carpenter claimed to be the son of God and their Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah that they pictured. They wanted the king that would destroy the Romans. But instead, they ended up with the humble servant that died a criminal's death. But see, God did not come to change their external situation, but their eternal situation. And to sacrifice his life in exchange for theirs and in exchange for ours to live a life that we could not live and die the death that we should have died in order that we might be saved and delivered and set free and reconciled back to God. That was, that was Christ's real, true purpose for coming. And you see all kinds of people reached out for salvation. All people reached out to Jesus as he lived his life. The rich, the poor, outcast rebels, priests, and even Roman soldiers reached out to Jesus. He could have fixed their external issues, and in some cases he did. But understood that that wouldn't have filled the God-sized hole that was in their heart. They needed a new heart, a renewed spirit, and a life that could only come from them, from him. They needed a Savior. They needed Jesus. He told them he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no man came unto the Father but by him. Jesus understood that the best thing that he could do was not fix all their issues, but to fix them personally. The best thing that Jesus did was die and become a bridge between us and God and then rise from the dead and then plant a sign that said hope and life this way. 
You see, God is the giver of hope and life. Jarvis, you can come on out. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Can I have everybody stand? Adam's sin put separation between us and God, but Jesus' blood and sacrifice brings us near. Those wise men were hopeful to find baby Jesus because they knew that Jesus would change their eternal destination. He would give them hope and eternal life. We too should be hopeful in the risen king as well because Jesus offers the hope of life, abundant life, uncommon life, even eternal life. The Christmas story is carefully crafted throughout the pages of eternity by a wonderful God. And it comes to this climatic moment where God has to actually give his son. Imagine what that departure must have been like. When Jesus comes, the world and everyone that ever lived in it would never be the same. We even keep our years by Christ's birth. There's never been a greater display of love than the one that God made when he gives his son to die. And yet, with as hard, with as troublesome as this promise would be for God, he kept his promise. He did the impossible. And he gives hope and life to all. You see, the Christmas story is much more about the author than it is the story. At the end of the story, if there was an epilogue, I could see, I could imagine the Lord saying this as he would write this message to us. If I am this thoughtful and deliberate about the birth of my son that I gave for you, how much more am I about you? The Christmas story is simply about my eternal commitment of love for you. So now that you know what happened, now that you see these things that God has revealed about himself through the Christmas story, how will you respond? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, 
Just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.